0: Are you looking for truth from God's Word that you can understand and apply to your life? You'll find it today on Make It Clear with Dr. Stan Pons, Bible teacher and president of Florida Bible College in beautiful Orlando. Listen now as Stan makes it clear.
1: Let me show you this passage right here because it's still in the same gospel, John, in a sense. John is saying this as he writes it for us. The story goes on. Then Jesus lifted up his eyes because he got finished preaching and there were thousands of people there. Multitude coming toward him, he said to Philip, where shall we buy bread that these may eat? Now, it wasn't that Jesus didn't know. He's getting ready to set up a scene here that we today are going to take and apply. He wrote this for us, for you and me today. He knew the answer. So he said, Philip, what are we going to do? How are we going to feed all these people? And he was testing him, for he himself knew what he'd do. And Philip answered, and he said, 200 pieces of silver, denarii worth of bread, is not sufficient for them. We can't feed them. We don't have enough money that everyone may have. A little bit even. We don't have enough. And then one of his disciples, are you following with me? Named Andrew. And again, do you catch the pathos? Simon Peter's brother. You know, why didn't you say Andrew? That was enough. But I believe it's there today for us to remember he's still a second fiddle and also ram. His brother. And he said to him, to the Lord, Andrew speaking, well, there's a lad here. He's got five barley loaves and two small fishes. Now, what are they among so many? Now, it wasn't that Andrew had the answer. In fact, it even shows his little bit of faith. He doesn't have the answer. Philip says, we got a little bit of money. And Andrew over here says, I see a boy here that's got a little bit of food over here, but that's not going to take care of it. But what is so interesting is that while Philip might have been the bean counter, Andrew was people-oriented. Philip was going to solve a problem by just chucking money at it. Andrew was going to try to solve the problem by saying, we got this kid, I know him, he's a boy here, he's got some food, but Lord, what can you do? And I... It may be my sanctified imagination, but I would like to think that there were 12 of the guys there. Jesus chose to speak to Philip, and he asked Philip the question. Nobody else chimed in with any form of suggestion, so they were probably all walking around with their hands in their toga. And it was Andrew who wasn't really asked, but it was Andrew who opened up his mouth. And it was Andrew who brought the boy's situation to Jesus. And it could have been that maybe Andrew knew what it was like to be a second fiddle and an also rat and he hung more out with the kids occasionally. He knew which kids were there. And he knew not only which kids, but what each kid had in their lunch pail or whatever they were carrying with them. And he knew that this little boy had something. And it's quite possible that Andrew, because he was humble and he didn't always have to hang around with the bigwigs, probably entered into a conversation. And it's just possible... I don't want to stretch this, I don't want to read into scripture, but it's possible that this little boy felt comfortable around Andrew. And Andrew and this boy kind of hung out together in a good relationship. Don't get kinky on us here. But he hung around with him and it's all of a sudden he could say, Jesus, I can. I, here's something, here. I don't know how it's going to happen, but this boy's got something. So I look at it this way. That in our world, that there's going to be people that have needs all around us. And what we can do is a second fiddle and an also-ran, while we're looking, don't always look to all the people that have everything. Look at the people that don't and say to ourselves, what can we do? I can't feed them, but I know who can. I know that there's a situation and there's also a solution. And I know the situation and the solution, if I put them both together in the hands of Jesus, that he can take care of it. So maybe for you and me, what we could do with our life is humble ourselves and simply do this. What do you think I'm doing? I'm looking at you. Who has a need? Who has a a felt need? Who has a need that maybe in the process of meeting that felt need of food, they're going to meet the miracle worker Christ to give them the bread of life and the water that once you drink you'll never thirst again. And that's what we as a church can do. And you and I can do this. And you don't need a body. You don't need a group. You don't need a team. You don't need a tent. You don't need to have all the people get behind this big massive movement to do it. You can just go one person at a time. Who has a need that I can meet by taking them to Jesus. You can do that. Young people. If your friends have a relative who passed away? They're suffering a loss. You much younger children have a friend who lost a pet. They're suffering the loss. Some of you men, you know of a man who just lost his job. And some of you ladies, you have a lady friend who's lost her health. And you can reach out. You can't solve their problems. You can't take away their loss, but you can take them to Jesus. Here's the fourth and final one. Fourth time he's mentioned, other than in the list, how God can use you and me as a second fiddle and it also ran. We can bring those who are religious and seeking to Jesus. Let's look here at John chapter 12, verse 20. It says, Now there were certain Greeks among those who came up to worship at the feast, and Greeks are kind of on the outside, and they came to Philip, who was from Bethsaida of Galilee, some neat things to say about Philip. If we had time, we ought to study his life because it seems like uh, he's surrounding himself with people that have certain issues. But Philip didn't have the best answer. And so he heard them ask him, saying, Sir, Philip, we wish to see Jesus. They didn't want to see Jesus' miracles. They didn't want his money. They didn't want to be healed. All they wanted to do was worship. And they wanted to see this Jesus as others are worshiping because they were a part of this thing. So they were religious in some measure and they were seeking Jesus. So Philip... Not exactly knowing what to do, but somehow, watch this, watch this, watch this, second fiddles and also rans. Andrew was now raised to a level of a model. He had a testimony. He was an example. Philip then knew, I don't know what to do, but it seems like Andrew always knows what to do, so I'm going to go tell Andrew. And then in turn it says, Andrew and Philip went to tell Jesus. So apparently what's happened is, Philip hears the news. He says, "Ma, I don't care. What do I do? I want to go tell Andrew. Andrew, being such a wonderful second fiddle and an also ran, didn't want to take all the credit himself. So he then, with Philip, and both of them shared with Jesus. Would you allow me for just a moment to go on a about a two minute tangent? Our church is experiencing some unusual growth right now, and I'm getting requests from people wanting to know what are we doing that's making our church grow. I cannot tell you. I can." kind of guess some little things that we're doing but we are nowhere ready to have any form of a pastor's conference and everybody come and see how we do it and this is how you need to do it we still don't know how we're doing church all we know is God has met us here in the last three or four months I don't know what's happening but to him all praise and glory goes the question now comes are you a seeker sensitive church are you a see- what, what, are you one of those churches that are, you know has all that stuff that seek people I can only tell you how I would define it in my perspective. I believe that biblical churches should be what we'll call seeker-friendly. Now, to do that, let me explain what I mean. I believe that biblically no man seeks after the Lord by themselves unless the Lord draws them. So, the question is, does God draw people to him? or to hear the message the answer is yes so if he draws them to him then they become a seeker so there are seekers out there that God created as seekers now to be seeker friendly means these are people like these Greeks that are now wanting to know more about God or Christianity or spiritual matters or what something's going on for them to now say I want something that is not in my life and I want to know it and they're now wanting to be around something Christian to somehow connect to Christ. And so we as a church ought not to be anti-seeker friendly. In other words, watering it, pushing them aside, us four no more, shut the door. Just like Andrew and Philip. We take these God-made seekers and now we're going to bring them to Christ. Everything we do is to help that person come to know Christ. Now, stay with me. There's another phrase that needs to be defined so they both go together. The other phrase is called seeker-driven. Now that's completely different. Seeker-driven means seekers drive what you do. In other words, they make it all happen. You do what they want. And that's not where we're at. We're a Jesus-centered church. Gospel-centered church. We love people. We love those whom God has made seekers and we'll do everything we can to bring those seekers to Jesus. But the seekers don't run our worship service. They don't run what we do. So in a sense, we're a seeker-sensitive church. We love those who God made seekers to reach, to reach out to them. So now, how does that fit into this message to you and me? Listen carefully. I think you and I, as second fiddles and also rans, that when we now begin to have another mindset of others, we're others-minded, that it will not be long before we will overhear a conversation about people who are struggling with God or making comments about the Bible or saying things about Christianity or saying something about Jesus. They could be in our family. They could be in our community. They could be in our club, on our team. They could be wherever we're at, and we hear that. All of a sudden, we might assume that they could become seekers. They're seeking, they're wanting, they're they're, they're confused about true Christianity in the Bible. And what we can do is like Philip and Andrew, we can go to those people, watch this, and bring them to Jesus Christ so that they would become a true worshiper of Christ as a blood-bought, born-again believer in Him, in Him alone. And so now you can begin praying and saying, Lord, would you have me somehow be around people that in some measure are seeking God and help me to be able to bring them to Jesus Christ. And that's what you can do. It's interesting about Andrew. If we could just follow his life to find out what happened to that little boy. We know what happened to Peter and all the people he affected two books of the Bible written by Peter, and all the Lord said about Peter. But what happened to that little boy? What happened to these Greeks? Did they really connect to the Lord, and did they become on their own great church planters or missionaries? We, we, we don't know, but we do know this about Andrew. Here's a story some of you older folks that have been around a long time might, uh, might hear. Do did you, did you know the name Spurgeon? How many of you know the name Charles Spurgeon would you read? Y'all know how Charles Spurgeon lived in the middle to late 1800s and he was known as the Prince of Preachers and there's a whole story about that. But you know what's so interesting? It's how Spurgeon came to know Christ as Savior. He came from a long line of preachers, grandparents, etc. But that's not how he got saved. He was going to church. There was such a horrible snowstorm, but he still said, I'm going to church. And as he went to church, he couldn't make it through the snowstorm, and he heard some music down an alley in some little tiny church that was meeting like in a storefront, but kind of a back alley extra room, and he heard some music, so in the blinding blizzard, he then put his head down, and he barreled his way into that building, and when he got in there, there was a man in an old pulpit up here who wasn't even the pastor, because the pastor couldn't get out of his house through the blizzard to the church, so one layman stood up there with only half a dozen people, and he stood up there, and he says, I can't speak very much, but if you're here today, I'm going to tell you so he said I'm going to give you one verse and he looked at the crowd and he says you look to Jesus and be ye saved he said that two or three times and he looked at little Spurgeon and he says you look to Jesus now and you be saved now obviously Spurgeon had a lot of other information given to him by family and he put it all together I need to look to Christ and Christ alone not my works not my religion but only Christ and I could be saved and that little Spurgeon became the prince of preachers Some of you know the story of D.L. Moody. D.L. Moody, who founded the Moody Church and Moody Bible Institute, became a great evangelist. He took America in one hand and he took England and Europe in the other hand, and he shook them both for God. His beginning came in Northfield, Massachusetts, where he wanted to go west, young man. Go west to find your fortune. And so he decided to go west, and the farthest west was Chicago in the early 1800s. And while he was there, he needed a job, so he was stocking shelves and putting shoes up there. And a Sunday school teacher that he had decided to leave and go find D.L. Moody and found him stocking those shelves. And at that time, behind a big shelf, he led him to the Lord. D.L. Moody went on to become this great evangelist. And in this, he needed to have some help. And so he hired a guy named Wilbur Chapman. Wilbur Chapman then became his front man. Wilbur Chapman then did great work, but he needed some help. So he found another person to influence, and his name was Billy Sunday, who was the great evangelist after he was underneath the tutorage of these guys. And then from then on, Billy Sunday was going everywhere, and he wound up in Boston. And while he was in Boston, there was a Christian businessman's meeting over there. So he spoke to that businessman's meeting, and they got it on fire for the Lord. And from that, they invited another guy to come in. His name was Mordecai Ham. And Mordecai Ham came into the community. He had also great meetings, and there was a little boy that came in at 16. His name was William, and while he was there, he then came to know Christ as Savior. And that man grew, followed his faith, and he spoke to more human beings the gospel than anyone, and we know him as Billy Graham. Now that all goes back to a Sunday school teacher named Edward Kimbrell. And I'd like to tell you that there still is in that man's life a second fiddle and an also ram. Someone had to lead Edward to the Lord. We may never know the people that we've impacted and influenced for the Lord, but we can all be a second fiddle and also ram. Andrew, how did he die? History tells us this, that he died standing for truth, but he died a martyr's death, that when they killed him, they executed him by crucifying him on a cross like this. So it's called the St. Andrew's Cross. After he died... Centuries later, they gathered up his bones and they put him on a ship to send him back, this time to England. And on the way through that part of the world, the ship was wrecked and the relics were floating all around and they named that bay St. Andrew's Bay. Later on, you had the British Empire with Ireland and Scotland and England. And they put together the Union Jack flag and there are three crosses on that. You have St. George, St. Patrick, and where is Andrew the second fiddle and he also ran. He's at the bottom of that. And neither one of those other top two guys are even apostles. If you need a little quirky thing, some of you like my little quirky stuff. When I think of Andrew, remember this. And Drew. Whoever you are, and Drew. I want to be known for that. Whatever Stan Pons was, he also, and Drew, people to Christ. I can do that as a second fiddle. I can do that as an also-ran. And so can you. Let's pray, shall we, with every head bowed and every eye closed. I'm so grateful that the Lord, in His infinite wisdom, had Andrew in his mind before he was ever born and that his mom did not in any way prevent Andrew from being born. And as Andrew was a little boy, I'm sure he never knew that he would become an apostle of the Lord Jesus Christ. Would never know that the stories, the way he lived his life, even in the shadow of a very dominant brother, that Jesus Christ, through inspiration, would choose to take four significant digital pictures of his life and place it in scripture so that the rest of us who are second fiddles and also rands can do something. And frankly, I hope you listen carefully now. In God's army, there are no first runs. There are no first fiddles. We all are second fiddles and also rams because the person who is number one in our life is none other than the Lord Jesus Christ. And don't we want to be a part of that? And so for some of you, here's your opportunity. You need to bring yourself to Christ like Andrew did. How much more information do you need before you have a transformation going on through the new birth? If you need more, come see me. I'll stay with you. I'll put you in contact with people who know truth. Answer your questions. People will pray for you because we want you to be a part of God's forever family by faith alone. If you're now saying, I'm ready, what do I do? Do I I join something? Nope. Do I give something? Nope. Do I promise God I'll stop this or start that? Nope. Do I come just as I am? Yep. Yep. Do I have to come to an altar? Nope. Do I have to stand up? Nope. But you must believe in your heart that Jesus Christ is the Lord who died and rose again and that going to heaven is by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone, not by any good deeds you've done. So you now come to him saying, Lord, I'm a sinner. I know I've done things wrong. I know I've got to be perfect to go to heaven, but I'll never be perfect. My good works will never get me there. I believe you died and rose again, and you'll forgive me of my sinful ways, my sinful heart. And right now, Lord, I want to thank you for giving me eternal life. I am trusting you forever to give me that eternal life, and I'm going to be in your forever family. Now, that's how you bring yourself to the Lord. That's calling upon the Lord. That's believing in the Lord Jesus Christ. That's what you do. Now you take a moment and do that right now. Please don't put it off because none of us know when we're going to breathe our last. And after we die, it's too late. There is no second chance. There are are no do-overs. This is it. Is there anyone in here today that is trusting Christ to be your forever Savior? And if there is, I would like to pray for you. Now the question is, do you praying for me, Pastor? Will that get me into heaven? And the answer to that is, nope. It's your faith alone in Christ. Even prayer doesn't get you to heaven. It's a a mental transaction where you're transferring your faith and placing it only in Christ. But me praying for you is an opportunity for you to know that I love you and I care for you and that I'm going to talk to the Lord with you here in our presence. And so with every head bowed and every eye closed so you won't be embarrassed, I'm going to ask you to slip up your hand. And when you do, I'm going to say just thank you. I see it so you know that I I connect with you. And then I'm going to pray for you anonymously. But you're going to have a new friend that's going to talk to the Father about you because you now are my brand new brother and sister in Christ. And I'm so excited that I get to be the first one that knows that apart from you and the Lord. So is there anyone in here with heads bowed and eyes closed They would let me know that today you're trusting Christ to be your forever Savior and you'd like for me to pray for you. Would you slip up your hand right now? Is there anyone at all? Put your hand up. Is there anyone at all? Anyone? Okay. Either on the radio or listening on tape, if you're doing that, you're trusting Christ, would you send me an email? Would you call me? Reach out to me because I'd like to pray with you. I've got a little booklet I've written called Now That You Believe. I want to give that to you. Now, for the rest of you, here's what I want you to think about. You can eyes open or closed, that's up to you. But you remember how he learned how that he first found his own brother? Who do you have in your family that has yet to hear the clear gospel message? Would you write that? Maybe there are initials on your notes. Who is it? A grandma, grandpa? A tutu? An auntie? Who is it? Who is it? Who in your family? A cousin? Who? Who still needs... Who's been born in your family recently and... And you're not sure they've heard it. Now, don't assume because their family goes to some great church that they really heard a clear gospel. Who still needs to hear it in your family? And those of you that are new to this thing, will you first find your own fill in the blank? And then, how about those that are in need, that are outside? Who can you put down? And then, who do you know that's seeking something? But you want to bring them someone, Jesus Christ. And you put their name down. And begin praying for them. I want to appeal to you. In just a few weeks, it's Resurrection Sunday around here. And I promise you that those groups that you're thinking about right now, they will hear a clear gospel message here. They will hear a correct gospel message here. A lot of churches will be talking about Jesus, but how correct will they be on the gospel? And will they even give the gospel? Or just talk about it, but not really talk about how it relates to a person getting into heaven by faith alone? Will it be clear, or will they use general terms that sound really good and cutesy, but are not biblical and are confusing? Will it be given in such a way that would be passionate, where they really care about it, or will be just some stilted red speech called a sermon? Will it be given courageously? Jesus died courageously, naked and alone on the cross. So I encourage and invite them to hear that message here and let that be the beginning of a new life for them. How many of you would like to have prayer as second fiddles and also rans like Andrew and say, God, I want you to use me any way you can to help others come to faith in Christ. And now you'd like for me to pray for you and I want you to pray for me I'm part of that same group. How many would like to have prayer today? Because you're going to do what you can to reach out to the people that we've just talked about. Would you slip up your hand? Amen. 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 Let's pray. Our gracious Heavenly Father, I thank you again for Andrew. I thank you the way you've chosen to use Andrew and that he did and drew people to you. Now, Father, we know that he is no more special than anyone else is in here. And we're no less special than he is. And that, Father, that if we're part of your forever family, that we too, as a second fiddle and an also-ran, can be used. So, Father, in some measure, we're just going to bring people to you and let you do what you're going to do, when you're going to do it, and how you're going to do it in those people's lives. But, Lord, we want to be known about helping others hear about you correctly, clearly, compassionately, courageously, and consistently.